the Mount Calvary Emmy Church in a place called Hartsville, South Carolina. <laughs> My mother and grandmother were the musicians of the church. The youth choir sang that classic by James Cleveland. The next time I remember hearing that song when I was a minister in New York at a homegoing service. And as they were rolling the remains of a beloved one out, a group of singers sang that song. I call my mother because that's what sons do and asked her do you remember a song I, I don't know what the name of it is but I remember hearing that song and of course as my mother always does she breaks out into a song anytime and that's what praying mothers do amen they sang through everything. And I'm just amazed at when God deposits something in your spirit, even as a child, it never leaves. That's why the Bible says, train up a child in the way that they should go. Because when they're old, they shall not depart from it. See, there comes a time when God has to be your God. And not simply your parents' God, your grandparents' God, your friends' God. No, he needs to be your Lord. It's apropos of what we talked about last night, you can hear something about God, but when you know God for yourself. You don't need to be convinced, persuaded, even encouraged. Because nobody can tell you anything about God once you know God for yourself. I praise Jesus this evening. He is all in all, giving honor to our God, our Father, our heavenly brother, Jesus Christ, and our keeper, the spirit of the living God. Dr. James Murphy, Jr., the pastor of this house. Come on, you should celebrate your pastor. to his wife in her absence, and to all of you, the greater little Zion Baptist Church family, it is good to stand with you again this evening. As I stand before you, I stand before you a blessed man. I'm happy that some five and a half years ago, God placed someone in my life who I absolutely adore. I told her I loved her before I knew her. And y'all think I'm lying, but I'm telling the truth. If I had the time to tell you about our romance story, you would be amazed. This is how I know God is real. Because he can make things happen 
in his time, my lovely wife, a woman who hears from God and who definitely helps to keep me center. Crystal Knight Heatley is here. Just wave your hand one more time, baby. The other lady of the house with a turban on is Queen Kelsey. And of course, my, my main man, my, my dude, who I told him, as I tell him every night and every day when he feels discouraged to hold your head up, son, you're a prince. William Quincy, and he's right where he always likes to be. Some of y'all will get that when you look at him where he is. <laughs> Amen. Our pastor are wonderful people. Strong, strong people. With a deep and rich history. Of those who were freed after the Emancipation Proclamation some three months later. A group of 50 people formed the Old Shallow Society in 1863 that has now become the Shiloh Baptist Church of Alexandria, Virginia. And we celebrate 155 years of existence. Hallelujah. Shallow, just wave your hand, those of you in the congregation, and of course to this. Hallelujah. Praise God for this wonderful choir that has joined Amen. I understand that you could be anywhere on a Friday evening, but you're in the house of God. And I thank God for the partnership and the fellowship of your pastor, who is also my fraternity brother and very well scholarly man filled with the spirit and who is bequeath wisdom unto me because he's been doing this for some time yeah I'm, I'm coming up on three years and he's been in the seat for a while and so i consider it a privilege to sit at his feet and listen and learn of him we return to the gospel of mark the eighth chapter as i shared with you last evening the 22nd verse Last evening, we spoke about walking by faith, and we want to continue our dialogue about the faith walk. As we return to this familiar passage of Scripture, Mark 8, verse 22. I will be reading from the New King James Version. You may have another translation, a transliteration of the Corday Greek language into English. If you are there, say amen. This is the word of the Lord. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands 
on him. He asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. For preaching emphasis, verse 23, then he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, he put his hands on him. He asked him if he saw anything. If you would be so kind to look at your neighbor either on your right or your left or someone behind you and of course, if you are standing alone, you can take out your cell phone, place it on selfie mode and have a conversation to encourage yourself. Amen. And give them these words, neighbor or self, welcome to unfamiliar territory. You may be seated in the presence of our Lord. God, we, your children, are here desiring to hear from you. And we know, Lord God, that you will not disappoint. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Thank you for the worship and setting the atmosphere so that your revelation can be deposited into us as we seek to be a people who live by faith. I've prayed as i pray many times before, I'm not able, incompetent, insufficient of the task that stands before me. However, with your help of the Holy Ghost, allow your word to come forth with power and conviction. For truly, Lord, drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love that I owe. Dear Lord, I give myself away. It's simply all that I can do. This is my prayer in the perfect, powerful, and precious name of him who is Jesus. And for his cause, we say, amen. Unfamiliar territory. It's amazing how technology has changed the way we live, especially in regards to how we travel to and fro. There was a time when you would utilize something that was called a map. You would take out the map, see where you were going, and see the best route to get there. What is even more important, if you knew the destination, you would call someone who was at the destination, and you would have to take the time to write down driving directions as to how to get there. They were, if they were good, they would give you landmarks in addition to street names. In fact, sometimes you didn't even know all the street names, but you knew the landmarks by which you would travel to get there. Oh my, how times have changed. We move from communication to one another with maps to MapQuest. Some 15 years ago, you would put in a destination in MapQuest and they would spit out one route to get to the destination that would oftentimes be incorrect because it could not account for construction 
and new development. Then some of us became spoiled because we began to have cars that had navigation systems. And because if they had a navigation system, you simply would put in the address and let the system guide you. The only problem was if there was a new road that was created or a new address and your car was outdated, you would have to go back to the dealership, pay a substantial fee every year to get your navigation system upgraded. Now, because of technology and the fact that phones are now mini computers, you don't even need a navigation system anymore because you carry one with you. As long as you have Google or maybe an app called Waze, you can put in the address or somewhere along the route and it will guide you there. Church, there are times when I wish that God could give me the address to my mansion in heaven. I could simply put it in my phone, press enter, and receive the directions of how I need to get to my mansion on the other side. It would give me all the traps I should avoid, let me know when I would have headache and heartache, let me know when the people who I love would transition. Let me know when the foolishness of life would arise. I would be prepared because I would know every place to go and to avoid to simply make my journey as easy as possible. But the truth is the life of faith is surely not like that. All of us are on a journey but the truth is we have no idea what is going to happen when we leave this place. And not just this side of glory, literally when we leave this place. We hope to travel by the mercies of God to see us safely to our destinations. But what I've discovered is in the life of faith there will be times where God, who is your GPS and your God, will lead you and guide you to unfamiliar territory. This is ourself in the text this evening. We return to the Gospel of Mark, the eighth chapter, where we find a blind man who has been brought to Jesus by this anonymous group called the they. We learned last night that it was important that their names not be mentioned because it was not about them, but it was about the touch that Jesus had to give to this man. And we also understood the power of more than one people coming together in the name of Jesus to have Jesus act on their behalf or either on behalf of someone else. And we learned last evening that as groups come together in the name of Jesus, all on one accord with the same mind and the same goal and the same vision and the same purpose and the same mission, of course, God would act out and manifest his presence. And therefore, we ask the question, if we desire that the king of glory would show his manifested presence in us and along with us this evening. Then we began to talk about and understand that even as we walk by faith, there will be times 
where we walk without understanding. That is, that in our dialogue with Christ Jesus, there are moments when God is silent. When God will not speak, although he is the living word, he may not have a word for you as of yet. And as you walk by faith, you have to get comfortable with the silence of God. We see that as he walks this man out of the city of Bethsaida, that there was a period and a point in time where Jesus did not speak unto him. But we found the word of encouragement, understanding that the fame of Jesus has already begun to spread. So even if the man was blind, we assume that he heard something about Jesus that will keep him walking with him. And that is the encouragement that you and I have this evening, that even in the silence of God, because we have heard enough about Jesus, that gives us enough confidence to keep on walking. And we spoke about it last night saying that I'm sure that there are people here that have heard something about Jesus. You have heard how he can make ways out of no way. You have heard how he can heal the sin-sick soul. You have heard how he can take a little bit and make it a lot. You have heard that he can do the exceedingly and abundantly above all you ask or think, which means your thoughts cannot get to him. And what you think he can do, he can do even more than that. Perhaps maybe we're not asking God for enough because if he's the all-sufficient one, El Shaddai, the God of more than enough, then he can do more than what we ask of him and what he can do. Is there anybody here that's heard anything about Jesus? Have you heard that he is your refuge and strength? Have you heard that he is your power? Have you heard that there is power in his name? Have you heard that things happen when you call upon the name of Jesus? When you call upon his name, it gives you the confidence to keep on walking with him because of what you heard, because at one time you heard, but then it moved to what you know about him. And now because you have had your own personal encounter with him who is God, you don't have to worry if God is not talking. You just place your mind on rewind about what God has already done for you because you know that he walks with you. And at some point, he's going to talk with you and he's going to tell you that you are his own. Is there anybody here who knows the hand that you hold? Is there anybody here who is glad that you hold the Ancient of Days by the hand? Is there anybody here who understands that God will not let your hand go? Is there anybody here who understands that you can hold on to God's unchanging hand? Because God is not wishy-washy. He's not fickle. He's not fake. He is who he says he is. He says, I am Alpha and Omega, and that's who he is. He said, I am the Ancient of Days. He's been here and always will be here. He is the King of Glory. He's a mighty God. He's a Prince of Peace. He's the Everlasting Father. He is everything that he says he is. And because I know him, I can walk with him. In fact, it does not matter where he takes me if this one is the one who has resurrection power and holds the keys of death and hell in one hand and has me by the other hand, then I believe that I am going to make it even in the silence of God. But church, let's be honest. In the walk of faith, there are times 
that even though you're walking with Jesus, you come upon territory and places that you have never been before. And if you would really be truthful, you would not go there on your own. It is simply because you're walking with Jesus, you find yourselves in unfamiliar territory. It's when you do everything you can to do, and life seems to not just work out in your favor. All because you said you were going to follow Jesus. Unfamiliar territory. You see the morning of everyone else knowing that your day is going to come when someone you love will make their transition from labor to reward. And after all the phone calls have gone and everybody has done their pastoral care now here, you are left either motherless or fatherless or without a spouse or without your child. You're in unfamiliar territory. When you've always excelled at everything that you do, but because the economy begins to tank, all of a sudden your name is the first name on the list to tell you that we have no longer need of your services. Unfamiliar territory. I do my best to work out and eat right, but soon as I go to the doctor, they call me back in because they see an unknown mass on some place of my body, and I am the most healthy person I know. Unfamiliar territory. I do the best I can to raise my kids and to teach them the right way and the best way, but all of a sudden I got a phone call saying that my child has been arrested, or better yet, my child is gone. Unfamiliar territory. In our minds, we believe this should happen to those who are not of Christ, but what about the people that have been serving God? What, what about the folk who've been tithing, who've been worshiping God, who are faithful to their ministry? They show up on time. They do everything that the pastor asks of them. They read their word. They study diligently, and still God will have a way of doing something that absolutely makes no sense and takes you into unfamiliar territory. Here we are, this blind man taking the hand of Jesus, and Jesus walks him away to unfamiliar territory. Let me tell you how the Holy Spirit gave it to me. See, in unfamiliar territory, you got to be willing to go, and the reason is, is because there are only some moments and some environments where God will choose to speak. See, in the unfamiliar territory that he's in, remember, he's blind and he's accustomed to the people who brought him to Jesus. But the one thing that Jesus does is now removes him from the familiar space and place and takes him to a place where he cannot see and he does not know. And the reason why he does that is because there are times in life where God has to remove you from the familiar so he can get your attention. So you can hear from God. You do know that it's noisy in the crowd. And sometimes there are competing loyalties and voices that seek to influence you. And when God desires to get a word or to reveal himself unto you or to heal you, he has to extract you from what you know to be familiar and put you in a place where you can hear him speak and hear him speak only. 
what happened to the prophet Elijah when he found himself running from Ahab and Jezebel, came to this mountain and there was a big earthquake and the wind and the, and the fire that broke the mountain apart. And in all the noise, God was not in all of that. But when he heard a small, still voice, he got his garments together, ran out on the mountain and began to talk with God. And I've come to tell you that in the life of faith, you will go to unfamiliar territory, but the truth is all God is trying to do is have an intimate conversation with you because he cannot get your attention when your lives are so noisy with everything around you. So he has to change the environment and the atmosphere so you can hear from him. Can I push it further? Not only will he remove you so he can speak to you, Sometimes he removes you because you are too comfortable where you are. We have a tendency as Christians to like the same thing every single Sunday. We like the same food when we have a gathering. We like the same type of songs. We like the same type of worship. We are creatures of habit. We like speaking to the same people, sitting in the same seat. We like going to the same job. We like watching the same television shows. Everything is the same, 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 same. And with God, what God says, you are too comfortable where you are because in your sameness, you think, I am limited and that I rest on that level. So let me shake up the environment and move you from that so I can show you just how much God I am because the truth is in your same comfortable environment, you don't need me. You're too comfortable. You're not calling on me because you think everything is fine. So what God do is remove you from places that are familiar. Because your familiar place is your captivity. And the truth is many of us want to be free, but we keep going back to the same dysfunction because it's comfortable for us, because it's the only thing we know. But if we would truly trust and believe God, we would live in the freedom of God. But the problem is we've been enslaved for so long in our minds and in our ways. When we get free, it's uncomfortable. So we go back and pick up the chains and put them back on. So God says, I'm going to loose the chain and I'm going to move you because you're too comfortable. There are times when God will walk with you by faith, where in the walk of faith you will discover that God is all you need because God is all you have. Sometimes we just got too much. And because we got too much, we're too comfortable. So God will take us away from that simply to help us to understand that he is the Lord, thy God. Can I push it further? In our comfortability, we find ourselves in unfamiliar territory and God moving us. It's because the truth is we have erected idols in our lives that we now yield to their voices. You know, there are certain people that have influence in our lives well, we begin to think that their voice is the voice of God. So what God has to do is remove to us from that because the truth is we have yielded authority to them and their words are not lining up with the word of God. I promise you I'm in the Bible. They are in Bethsaida. And Jesus has already pronounced judgment on Bethsaida because Bethsaida was a place of little faith where folk did not believe. And my Bible readers understand that Jesus could not do many miracles 
where there is no faith. And so sometimes he has to change the environment so he can bring the deliverance and the healing. And perhaps the reason why your change has not come yet is simply because you got too many negative voices around you that are masquerading as if they're in your corner, but the truth is they don't want you to prosper. They would much rather be a leech on you because they are so dependent upon you, and they know that when you discover who you really are, you're going to leave them alone because they're trifling. You know, misery loves company because they're mad. They want you to be mad because they say they want you to be sad. They want to stay in their funk and keep you in the same place. You better tell somebody the devil is a liar. My Bible says who the Son sets free is free indeed. And where the Spirit of the living God is, there is liberty. So if God got to remove me from a place where people don't want to see me prosper, don't want to see me thrive, don't want to see me do anything because they want to stay in their misery, you need to tell them bye-bye, but I got my hand with Jesus and he's taken me. It might be unfamiliar, but I'd much rather be in an unfamiliar place with a familiar God who knows no unfamiliar place because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There is no territory that he does not know. And as long as I am with him, it's unfamiliar, but it's with God. Takes him by the hand, walks him away from everybody that brought him to him. He cannot see, takes him to a place that he does not know. I can understand that, but here's where I'm perplexed. Before Jesus says a word to him, he spits on him. The man is blind. He can't see the saliva coming up in Jesus' mouth. He can't even see and understand what's happening. But he feels a wet substance on his eyes. There are times in the walk of faith that Jesus will lead you to humiliation. Simply to glorify his name. I want to talk to the real Christians this evening who are walking with God. Not just the churchgoers. I'm talking about the people that are sold out for Jesus. And when Jesus takes you to a place and then find you find yourself humiliated only because you're following Jesus. Humiliated. You know how it is. When you are now the outcast of your family all because you're trying to live holy and righteous and nobody wants to be around you at the holiday season or funerals or even family reunions because they think you high and mighty and all you're trying to do is live holy before a holy God. Humiliated. When you walk to the break room at work and everybody all of a sudden stops the conversation when you come around because when you show up, they don't want you to get a whim of what they're talking about. In fact, they disperse because they don't like the vibe that you're giving off. And you find yourself by yourself humiliated. Who am I talking to? 
when, when you have the meeting before the meeting with your staff to make sure that everything is okay, and then when you get to the staff meeting, they turn their back and change the whole conversation and dialogue as if y'all hadn't even talked before y'all got there, and you looking like a fool in front of the boss or other, other supervisors. Humiliated. When, when your upper-level management asks you to do something that is unethical and you say no, and then when it's your time to present, they hit you with a barrage of questions to challenge your integrity and your competency and make you look like a fool before everybody that would have power in the room. Humiliated. You didn't even ask for the promotion, but you got the promotion. And then when you got the promotion, you realize that you do more babysitting than you do work because you are only working with adults that are masquerading as children, or rather children that are masquerading as adults, uh, and y'all can't get no work done because you still trying to put out fires in the sandbox. You, I, I, I'm humiliated. When I got to stand by myself, with other preachers who want to live unholy lives, do things that you would be shocked if I told you what they are doing. And you choose not to do so because you believe this gospel that you preach, but they ain't calling your name, and they get together, and you feel like you all here by yourself. I'm talking about humiliated. You know what it is. You go to a conference from work. They all get together, want to go out and have fun, but you never get the invitation because they want to be by themselves because they think you might rain on their parade or do something. So you stuck by yourself and being humiliated. I'm talking about walking by faith. Here's the words that the Lord told me to give you tonight. Welcome. To what I felt. Don't you think that Jesus has an understanding what it means to be humiliated? Don't you think that he who is the son of God knows what it is to be humiliated? Don't you understand that once you said you wanted to be like him, he made sure that he would orchestrate your environment and your life so you can be like him? Jesus knows what it's like to be humiliated. Why do you think we gather together under the blood of Jesus? The cross is humiliating. It was the symbol of shame of the Roman government where they would make an example out of anybody that tried to come against him. He was crucified on a cross. He was shamed for me and you. Humiliated. Said if any man, any woman would want to follow me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and then follow me. I just want you to know if folk calling you crazy, if you find yourself by yourself, if you find yourself going after the word of God and trying to orchestrate your life by the word of God and you find yourself by yourself, you are in good company because you're becoming more and more like Jesus. Is there anybody here that says, I'd rather be by myself with the Lord 
than to have the cheers and applause of anybody else because I want to go where Jesus went. He said if they did it to the teacher, what do you think? They're going to do it unto you and that your day will come. But as long as you keep on walking with him, he'll give you power. Besides, walking by faith in unfamiliar territory might be humiliating, but when you understand how God works, you'll understand that your humiliation is only the process to your healing. I got to say that again. That, that, that didn't catch y'all. I, I, I said your humiliation, everything that you have been chastised for, is nothing more than the building and the process that God is now going to use to exalt you because it's going to get you to your healing. I'm in the Bible. He removes him from the place, spits on him, touches him, and asks him, what does he see? You would think that the saliva is humiliated, but during this time, saliva was a medicinal element. So Jesus wasn't trying to humiliate him. Jesus was trying to help him understand that I am beginning the process of your healing. So he put the saliva on him because it would now trigger that he is now about to see and that Jesus is doing something from him. And then Jesus touches him and restores his sight fully. There are moments in life that you can attest to that in your lowest point of humiliation, you realize that it was nothing more than God taking you through so that when you got to the other side, you can appreciate who God is and everything that God taught you along the way. So I'm here to give you a word of encouragement. If you have ever been humiliated, just understand that your healing is on the way. If you've ever been chastised, but doing what God has asked you to do, uh, then your healing and deliverance is on the way. Uh, if you've ever been told no uh, and God says yes, uh, you're just in the process uh, for God to bring your healing. Let me see if I can make this clear. A friend of mine diagnosed to the point where he needed a kidney transplant. 40 years old, in good health, preacher and serving at his church. One day, his kidney shut down to the point where he had to take dialysis every day. He had his portable unit with him, could still work, but his name had to be put on the list. But he was already down at the bottom. He would tell me, how it would be humiliating for him to be stopped at TSA and take longer times to get through, to get to his flight. He would tell me how he would love to have fun with his family, but he had to make sure at a certain time he had to take his medication and make sure he got his dialysis every day. He said it was like a crutch, and he would be with his vibrant children at 40 years old walking around with this thing that was humiliated because people would look at him and give him expressions as if they had no idea what was happening. What is more, 
he found out some three months prior that his insurance dropped him because of his condition, humiliating. Luckily, because of the Affordable Care Act, he can have Medicare, but because that's his primary insurance, now anything he does is only covered 80%, and the 20% is out there. He found out that it was dropped, and he picked up Medicare, and by wisdom, got supplemental insurance from one company that would accept him. But that wouldn't kick in until October 1. He got a phone call seven days after his supplemental insurance kicked in and says, you need to come to the hospital because we found a match. Here it is. He goes to the hospital some two years after he's been diagnosed of needing a kidney. For 24 months, he had to carry this humiliation with him, have the pain of understanding that he might not have coverage. But at the time when he needed the operation, he went from having to come up with 20% to now having 100% fully covered. There was a time period where he did not know what would happen. There was a time period where he carried something that looked like a crutch. There was a time period where he had to deal with the scornful looks of the people that were working alongside him, where folks would question what he was doing. But then there came a time period when he received his healing. That's just one example among many. Because I understand even as I look out in this congregation, there may be many of you that may have a little testimonies of how life has treated you and humiliated you. But you begin to find out that that was only a part of your process because there came a day when God would begin to show you that he is God. Can I get a witness in this Baptist church? Here it is, you had to change your hairdo. You used to have long flowing hair, but because of the chemotherapy, you had to now get some wigs and begin to switch up your look. But the last time you went to the doctor, you found out that all your levels were intact and that there's no more cancer in your body because it was part of the process. You had to change your appearance, walking with a crutch, Walking with a walker, walking however you had to walk until you got to the place where God showed you that he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God who healeth thee. You were the best thing working in your job until they let you go. You went from place to place, from search engine to search engine, from consultant to consultant, changing up your resume making sure that it would be suitable and fitable for the job that you would get and you heard no more times than you heard yes but is there anybody in here who understands you can tell me no all the time but if i get one yes it cancels out all the other no's i'm just trying to encourage you
that in the walk of faith, you will be humiliated. You will be cast down. You will be told no. You will be told that you don't belong. But if you will just hold on for one yes, that one yes will cancel out every no you have ever heard. By the way, you are not the first one to be humiliated. There's a man by the name of Jesus who was born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothing. The king had to be born amongst horse manure, humiliated. They didn't even have room to let the king of the world come in a safe place to be born, humiliated. He came to his own, but his own rejected him. That's humiliation. He had to sop bread with the one who would betray him. That's humiliation. He even washed the dirty, crusty feet of the one who would go to the high priest and give him for 30 shekels of silver. That's humiliating. He had to take a kiss from Judas, knowing that he would be brought up on trumped up charges. That's humiliation. They whisked him away in the early hours of the morning and tried him before an unjust court. Humiliated. They asked him if he is the son of God. And he didn't say a word. Humiliated. Then he finally said, I am that I am. Smacked him in his face. Spit in his face. Punched him in his body. Humiliated. Hung up like a criminal. Before he came out to Pilate, the Roman soldiers got a crown of thorns. Put it on his head. Had his cerebellum bleeding. That's humiliation. The same folk that said Hosanna on Palm Sunday, now saying crucify him on Good Friday. That's humiliating. After being beaten all night, had to take a heavy cross and go to the place of the skulls. That's humiliation. Got to the place of humiliation. Took a rod iron nail and put it in his flesh. One in one hand, one in the other hand, one in his feet, humiliated. They took the cross and flipped it upside down. Now gravity takes over and his flesh is hanging by a piece of steel, humiliated. They threw him down in the hole and he's crucified between two thieves. Although he did nothing wrong, that's humiliating. The chief priest that were there said, you said you were Elijah. And since you can't save yourself, you can't be the king of the Jews. That's humiliating. Mocked by one criminal saying, get me down from this cross. Humiliating. Took a spear and pierced him in his side. That's humiliating. The same folk that he'd been walking with for three years. I now know where to be found when he needed him the most. Humiliating. Gave up his ghost. Prayed for the same folk that put him on the cross. Asked a question to his father who at that moment turned his back on him. That's humiliating. But I'm glad 
that I understand that Sunday is always coming. We are speaking about the events on Friday. We call it Good Friday, but it's a really humiliating Friday. But God took the shame of the world and shed the blood of his son and did something that only God can do. Because when you read your Bible, that on Sunday morning, no, that ain't how I want to say it. We are in Virginia. We still below the Mason-Dixon line. We still in the South. And we in a Baptist church. And I'm a Baptist preacher. And when the Baptist preacher speaks about the events on Sunday morning, they don't just say the stone was rolled away. They don't just say the body was not in the tomb. They don't just say the women came to anoint him. But the Baptist preacher says early. Come on, I thought I was in a Baptist church. Early. Come on, I thought when we were in revival. Early. Sunday morning. Got up with all power in his hand. He went from humiliation to healing. That means I'm going to get my healing. Some glad morning. When this life is over, I'm going on, I'm going on to be with my Lord. Is there anybody here that wants to fly caught up to meet him? He's coming back and he will do it. But before I get there, I might as well have a dress rehearsal down here. The Bible says that the order of heaven is praise and worship. And I just thought since I'm going to praise him forever up there, I need to learn how to praise him down here. This is a dress rehearsal, which means if you have a problem praising God down here, I don't know what you think is going to happen when you get up there. So before you get there, is there anybody here who's unafraid to open your mouth and give him glory? Give him glory. Give him glory. Come on, open your mouth and give him glory. Give him glory. He's worthy of There's not a territory that he's not familiar with. If you are sick, he's familiar with that territory. That's why his name is Jehovah Rapha. If you're feeling confused, he's familiar with that territory. He says that he will keep you in perfect peace. If your mind is stayed on him, if you are anxious, he's familiar with that territory. That you make your request known unto him with thanksgiving. He'll give you a peace. That surpasses all understanding. If your heart is heavy because you lost someone, he's familiar. He says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Whatever it is, he can handle it because my God can do anything but fail. And all things are possible with him. That's the testimony of this blind man. He had the hand of God touch him bring him back to a visionary state because he said he saw men walking like trees 
which means he know what a tree is and he knows what people are because he saw before and God restored everything back unto him. That means he's been touched by God. And when God touched him, he was no longer the same. It reminds me of a little old hymn. We used to sing at the Mount Calvary AME Church in Hartsville, South Carolina. They used to sing it before communion. They would sing it before the sermon. It says, shackled by a heavy load underneath a load of guilt and shame. But then the hand of Jesus touched me, and I'm no longer the same. Where my hymn singers at? He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And all oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched you all about the deposits that happened as a young boy. I hadn't thought about that hymn until I thought about this word.